Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Heavenly Father, God, in these next few moments that we have together in your word, Lord, I pray that we would be moved by who you are revealed to be in your word. And Lord, I pray as we are moved by this, we would also, Lord, we would be moved by who you call us to be in light of that revelation. And Lord, I pray specifically, God, that this morning we would see and hear the calling you have placed upon our lives as believers. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see our lives as what they are and what we are to focus upon. Lord, help us to realize that we need to focus upon the eternal things and we need to be changed forever by your word. Lord, in the words of A.W. Tozer, I pray this morning. Oh God, quicken to life every power within us. That we may lay hold on eternal things. Open our eyes that we may see. Give us acute spiritual perception. And enable us to taste and see that you are good. Lord, I pray that you would make heaven more real to us than any earthly thing has ever been. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1811, Adoniram Judson uh, wrote a letter to the father of a woman named Anne Hasselton, a woman that he was, in fact, in love with and desired to marry. Uh, Adoniram Judson was a missionary or was preparing to go on missionary service in Burma, which is now uh, known as Myanmar. But he was headed that direction and he wanted to marry Anne. And so he sent a letter to her father in asking for her hand in marriage. And I read this in his biography years ago and I've always been impressed, uh, or impressed may not be shocked or whatever, by the letter that he wrote to Anne's father asking for her hand in marriage and this is what it says quote sir i have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land 
and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps even a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? Sincerely, Adoniram. Wow. Right? I mean, when I read that, I am blown away that he would even think to write it. But I mean, I guess he was sort of a all-your-cards-on-the-table kind of guy. He wanted him to know exactly what she was getting into. The thing that amazes me most is that in February of 1812, Anne and Adoniram were married. Because her father said, absolutely, I'm able to do that. They went to Burma. They ministered together for 14 years. And then she died of an illness after suffering for two years And six months later after that, their third child died as well. But he stayed and ministered in Burma for 40 years until he died in 1850. And after he died, he left behind 100 churches and 8,000 believers. But when he set foot in Burma, there were zero of both of those. Jesus' entire purpose on this earth during his ministry, in his own words, was to seek and to save the lost. And if you're a Christ follower this morning, then we are supposed to spend our lives joining him in this continued mission. We can't look look at it as a drudgery. We can't look at it as something to be feared. And it may be difficult, but to join Jesus on this mission is a worthwhile and joyous pursuit. Or, to think of it a different way, Jesus' purpose to save is my privilege to serve. Jesus' purpose to save is my privilege to serve. Now, before, as, as we do most weeks, before we jump in to Luke 19, 1 and 10, it's important to know what's happening in the book of Luke going back into chapter 18. In chapter 18, Jesus has set his sights on Jerusalem. He's headed there, uh, and he's already revealed to his disciples. He's headed there so that he might be beaten, handed over, uh, crucified, um, and then rise again on the third day. So Jesus is set. He's got his mission set before him. And as he heads that direction, he has a few encounters. And it's important to note these encounters because the encounter we're going to look at this morning in verses 1 through 10, his encounter with Zacchaeus, is the last interpersonal one-on-one account that Jesus has before his, what we refer to as his triumphal entry. Okay, so uh, that's what happens. Now, as it leads up to this, in chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, uh, people were bringing their children to Jesus. His disciples are essentially saying, no, no, he doesn't have time for that. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, let the children come unto me. Right? And all these are important as we look at what's going to happen. Because he says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Then in chapter 18, verses 16 through 30, Jesus has an encounter with the man that we refer to as the rich young ruler. 
He walks up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him a question. Why do you call me good? There is none good but God alone. And then he proceeds to go back and forth with him about the law. And he says, oh, I've kept the law. I've done all that. So Jesus says, okay, fine. Then what I want you to do is I want you to go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and you come follow me. And it says, and the young man went away sorrowful for he had much. And in verse 24 of chapter 18, it says, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So... Then he tells his disciples again what's going to happen as he goes into Jerusalem. And then he encounters a man that we refer to as blind Bartimaeus. Which is interesting because we should really refer to him as seeing Bartimaeus based off the story. But we still call him blind Bartimaeus. And we'll talk about him in a minute because it's very important to Zacchaeus' story. But as we dive into this, what we find is something interesting. This man, Zacchaeus, there's, there's a lot in this story that I want to get to. And there's a lot in this little, this little encounter that he has with Jesus. But what we know about Zacchaeus is pretty simple, right? Um, and we know it because I know I do from the time I was a child. And, and I really know just a couple of things about him. I know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. And I know that he climbed up in a sycamore tree because the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Right? So what do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, we know Zacchaeus is short. We know Zacchaeus climbs trees. And we know that Jesus stayed at his house one time. That's what we know from song, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty much what we know about Zacchaeus. But there is so much more because what we find in the story is that this outwardly wealthy man who was spiritually bankrupt needed Jesus. This physically short but spiritually tiny man needed Jesus. This outwardly powerful but spiritually pathetic man needed Jesus. This outward leader who was spiritually enslaved to his sin, needed Jesus. There are people all around us every day, even in our own families, who may seem like they have all kinds of outward things that that we can see with our own eyes, both good and bad, but they, like Zacchaeus, simply need Jesus. We must do just like Jesus did with Zacchaeus. And the first thing we must do in verses 1 through 5 is we need to look beyond the fault and see the need. And yes, that is in fact a reference to a southern gospel song. I stole it. I own that. So in verse 1 of chapter 19, it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. Very important to note very quickly. Jericho uh, was a palatial city. It was an amazing city. Most of what we know about Jericho comes from the fact that we know Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. He marched around and he blew the trumpets. The walls fell down. This is actually a different Jericho. Uh, Jericho had to be rebuilt, but it was rebuilt on a different site entirely because the old Jericho in the Old Testament was completely destroyed. So it's rebuilt, but this city was rebuilt, and the Romans put a lot of money and 
effort and time into it. And so uh, the city of Jericho was very fortified. It was beautiful. It was filled with palm trees and balsam trees and all these other things. And it had some of the largest rose gardens in the entire ancient Near East. So it's massive. And it's really amazing uh, that it's referred to as that. It's called Jericho. And the reason that's so interesting is because the word Jericho means perfumed. Many people would say that when you went to Jericho, you could smell it long before you saw it. Because it was just, it was filled with all manner of amazing plant life and things like that. And the reason that it was so well known is because Jericho was the last major stop on the pilgrimage to Jerusalem uh, for uh, festival season. So people were traveling to festival. You remember Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, but he's not just headed to Jerusalem for, uh, yes, he's going for his crucifixion, but he's also headed there for what? Well, for Passover, it's, it's the time of the festivals. It's time to go up to Jerusalem. And so he's going there. And they are doing what? They are passing through Jericho. That's really important. We'll talk about why in a minute. So they're passing through Jericho to go to Jerusalem. And they're traveling in caravans. This is what people did when they would go to Jerusalem. They'd travel in large groups because it was dangerous to travel on your own. And so thousands of people, hundreds and thousands of people would come through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. We'll see in a minute that there's no different with Jesus. There are crowds just following him. They're, they're, they're pressing in on him. There are people everywhere. And so it says he's going through Jerusalem. And behold, verse 2, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now this is really important. And behold, it's like Luke saying, it was a shock. There was a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is there. It's important because Zacchaeus is an abbreviation. It's a, it's a nickname, if you will. It's a shortened form of Zechariah. And Zechariah means righteous one. Um, and so we've got this man. And, and, and Luke says, and behold, there was a man named the righteous one. And then the next sentence shows why we should understand the irony of it and why everyone then understood the irony of it. It says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, the righteous one. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now Luke wants us to understand was rich. Why? Because what did he say about the rich young ruler? He said, and behold, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And they said, well, then, Lord, who can get into heaven? And he says, well, with man, all things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So then Luke mentions, hey, this guy's got two things working against him. He's a tax collector and he's rich. So we got a problem. Zacchaeus has a big problem. He is the righteous one, named so, but he is the unrighteous one in the way that he lives and acts. He's a chief tax collector. Um, tax collectors, you know this, but and so I'm not telling anything new, but tax collectors, the Jews view tax collectors as one step below murderers and prostitutes when it came to their uncleanliness and how much they disliked them. Because the tax collectors were traitors. They were Jews who took taxes for the Romans. And the Romans encouraged this, in fact, because they wanted to see them work hard. So the Romans encouraged them to take the amount of tax, but then to also take some for themselves. And then many of them would take more and more and more. Then on top of that, uh, Zechariah, or I'm sorry, Zacchaeus was not 
a tax collector, it says Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means that he was a tax collector over tax collectors. So not only is he collecting tax for the Romans and also lining his own pockets with people's money by charging them more, but then he's probably charging his other tax collectors who work under him a little bit as well. So this man is extremely wealthy, but he's wealthy off of stealing and thievery and swindling. In fact, what Luke is telling us is, if you want to read it this way, he says, and there was a man named the righteous one who was a scumbag of scumbags. That's, that's literally what he's referring to him as. He, he's just a guy nobody likes at all. Nobody wants to know him. Nobody wants to see him coming. Why? Because the irony's not lost on the fact that the righteous one would show up at your house and essentially steal your money. Right? He was a swindler. He was a thief. He was a con artist. He was all of those things. And they just did not like him. So it's really important that he was named Zacchaeus, the righteous one, but he was not living up to the name his parents had given him. And it says in verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, this is why it's important. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. In Luke chapter 18, I said I mentioned the man named Blind Bartimaeus. And in the story of Blind Bartimaeus, Jesus is not quite to Jericho yet. He's going toward Jericho. He's about to enter Jericho. And as he gets right outside of Jericho, there's a man there named Bartimaeus. And they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is coming this way. And so he begins to cry out. And he says, Son of man, have mercy on me. But he, Jesus keeps going. And he doesn't respond to him. So he cries out louder, Son of man, have mercy on me. And Jesus turns to Bartimaeus and he says, What would you have me to do for you? And he says, I want to receive my sight. I want to see. And so Jesus says, receive your sight. Right? So, okay, that's a beautiful picture of, of Jesus and, and what he did and the fact that he healed him and all that's true. But when you take that with Luke 19, what you find is something interesting. Bartimaeus was blind physically, but he was actually not blind spiritually. You know why? Because he referred to Jesus as son of man. He was calling Jesus the Messiah. That's, that was a title for the Messiah. So you've got this man, Bartimaeus, who was physically blind, but spiritually he could see. And now you've got this tax collector who is not living up to his name. And he is physically, he can see fine, but spiritually he is blind. And so what's he trying to do? He wants the same thing that Bartimaeus wanted. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see. He wanted to see just like Bartimaeus. So he wanted to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small in stature. He was small in stature. So he, he climbed up this tree to see Jesus. But the crowds are everywhere. So it says he ran on ahead and he climbed up this tree. He ran ahead and he climbed up the tree because there were so many people he couldn't see Jesus. And all he wanted to do was catch a glimpse of him. All he wanted to do was just see him and just to see who he was. To see if, it's, if he was everything uh, that everybody was talking about. No doubt they had heard of Jesus because um, he had been around this area before. Uh, but no doubt... He had heard of him because the scripture tells us that his fame, Jesus' fame, spread throughout the land. And there are crowds everywhere pressing in upon him and, and, and no doubt asking him things like, Oh, would you heal my daughter? Would you heal my son? Would you heal this? Would you provide this? Would you do this? Jesus, would you do that? Would you do this? And so there are crowds pressing in. And Zacchaeus, being a short man, being vertically challenged, as it were, could not see Jesus. 
He wanted to see him, so he runs ahead, climbs up in a tree, so that he might catch a glimpse. Now, something interesting happens here. Zacchaeus is short. He can't see Jesus. He wants to catch a glimpse of him, but you notice he doesn't really want to meet him. It's not like he's pressing through to try to see, uh, to try to talk to Jesus, to try to interact with Jesus. He just wants to stand off at a distance and look. He just wants to get to know a little bit about him, see him, verify that he, he's all that he's cracked up to be. But he doesn't really want to interact with him. He just wants to be out on the fringes. See, there are some here this morning... And you don't, maybe you came because someone invited you, so you just came because um, you were impressed to do so this morning, but for whatever reason, you've come and you want to catch a glimpse of Jesus. But, and, and I, I don't, I'm just going to be pretty straightforward. I, I know this is the case. Uh, you very possibly slipped in after the, the service started and you'll slip out during the prayer because you just want to be here and you want to see what it's about and you want to hear what it's about, but you're not really ready to interact with anyone. You want to, as Zacchaeus did, kind of see Jesus, but glimpse him from afar. You, you, you want to be out on the fringe, but, but not really see him. But the next thing that happens in the story is supposed to draw our attention to something. So you got blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus cannot see physically. He desires to see physically. So Jesus gives him his sight. The next thing you have is Zacchaeus, who can see physically, but wants to see Jesus. So he climbs up in the tree... In verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. He looked up. Why'd you stop there? Remember the picture here. We got crowds of people going through Jericho. They're pressing in so much, Zacchaeus can't even see Jesus, so he has to climb a tree. Right? There's people everywhere. They're just pressing in, and all he wants to do is see Jesus. And so he climbs up in that tree. He's just trying to see him. That's all he wants. And all these people everywhere pressing in. And Jesus walks up to the base of the tree and stops and looks up. You notice he very clearly says, and he looked up. Why? See, because Zacchaeus thought he was looking for Jesus. What he didn't realize was that Jesus was actually the one looking for him. Did you notice that? He was just trying to catch a glimpse. But Jesus walked in, it says, and he looked up. So blind Bartimaeus wanted to see. Zacchaeus wanted to see what he didn't realize was that Jesus was looking for him. Well, why is that so significant? Because of the next phrase. And it says, and Jesus coming to that place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus. How on earth does he know his name? There are people everywhere. There are people everywhere. And yet, Jesus looks directly up in that one tree, which remember, this place is filled with trees, right? And there's people everywhere. He looks up in that one tree at that one man who is short in stature, and then he calls him by name. But not only does he call him by name, but you find the irony in this. This chief tax collector and sinner is up in a tree just trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus without any strings attached. Jesus looks straight into his face and says, hey, righteous one. What's so interesting is he's the unrighteous one. And the one who sees him is the only righteous person in this entire story. So he looks at him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. 
Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. It indicates a divine necessity. Do you notice that? I must stay. It has to happen. Uh, Some translations say, it is necessary that I stay at your house. Why? Because it's a part of God's plan. That's what Jesus is telling. Now, notice that. All of that, we take all of that count, just what what just happened. Zacchaeus was hoping to just catch a glimpse of Jesus as he walked by. And it actually said he was doing what? He was passing through with the caravans. It said he was passing through. And yet, Jesus stops, looks up in a tree, and says what? I'm staying. I'm staying. I'm not going anywhere. Why? Because Jesus didn't go to Jericho just to get to Jerusalem. Yes, he was on his way to Jerusalem, but Jesus went to Jericho to meet Zacchaeus. That's why he was there. He said, but I mean, isn't it chance? No, this makes it very clear. There was no chance involved. Jesus stopped at the exact tree, spoke to the exact person, and said, it is necessary that I stay at whose house? At your house. Why are you pressing that so hard? It's because you may have come into this place, or you may be watching online, which we're so thankful that you are, but you may be sitting there, and you're just wanting to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And you may have been able to, uh, to, to not really commit and, and, and maybe some people don't really know your name and that's okay. But see, you're here this morning for a reason and Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows exactly who you are. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. He knows everything about you. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows that you're thinking, why is this preacher talking to me directly? He knows that you're thinking, wow, I feel very uncomfortable at this very moment. He knows that because of who he is. He knows that because you may have come here for a myriad of reasons. But what you didn't realize is that while you came here maybe just to catch a glimpse of Jesus, Jesus is looking right at you. And he knows your name. And he knows everything about you. He calls Zacchaeus and he says, I must stay. See, there are so many, believer, there are so many in your life and in my life, maybe inwardly or outwardly, they don't know the Lord. They are far from God. And they're like Zacchaeus. They're not living up to the standard of righteousness, as his name means. They're not living up to the standard of righteousness that they are called to live to. However, just like Jesus, his purpose as he says at the end of this passage, is to seek and to save the lost. And if it's his purpose to do so, it is our privilege to do so. It's what we get to do. See, we need to look at other people, not just, as I'll say in a minute again, not just as people we know, but as people who don't know Christ. And if we do so, we have to do like Jesus. We have to look beyond their fault. This man, Zacchaeus, was someone nobody wanted to be around No one wanted to interact with. No one liked him. And yet Jesus went out of his way to interact with him. And he did so. And he looked beyond his fault because he knew that his need was to meet Jesus. And see, so many of us have to recognize 
that pe- there are people in our community, there are people all around us and in our daily lives. They don't look like us, they don't sound like us, they don't have the same background as us. None of those things. They, are, they, make us, they may make you uncomfortable, they may do things in their life that make you uncomfortable, but here's the deal. Jesus looked beyond all that with Zacchaeus and he saw his need and you and I are called to look beyond all of that and see their need and I'm thankful and I should get to do that. I should see it as a privilege for one reason and one reason only. While our background may look different and certain details of our upbringing may look different, in the end, Jesus looked beyond my fault and he saw my need and he answered it through his son Jesus Christ, or through himself in his death, burial, and resurrection. And you and I need to look beyond the faults of other people just as God did us and help them see and meet their need, which is Jesus Christ. So we need to be like Jesus. But then we see here that reaching the far from God is the work of Jesus and therefore of his followers. Look at verse 6. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. He hurried and he came down to receive him joyfully. See, coming to Jesus Christ doesn't mean uh, that we want to see people just, as I said last week, we don't want to just see people turn over a new leaf. We, do, we don't just want people just to get a little bit better. And, and that should never be our testimony, that we just wanted to get a little bit better. The truth is, is that you and I, in the past, if you're a believer, and then if you're not a believer or the people that you know, we are all searching for fulfillment. We're all searching for satisfaction. We're all searching for wholeness. But we will never find it in anything in this world. Because what we're looking for is satisfaction and fulfillment. But what we need is Jesus. And when we find Jesus, we find joy. See, happiness, you've heard me say this before, happiness is dependent on outward circumstances. We're happy because things are going good. We're not happy because things are not going well. But joy is an inward response. Joy means I might not be happy, but I can always be joyful. Joy is something that God does on the inside. And so Zacchaeus, notice this. I mean, think about it. He's hiding up in the tree. He just wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus looks him in the eye, calls him by name, and says, get down here now. Because I need to stay at your house. And it says that Zacchaeus received this joyfully. He's overwhelmed. I mean, he was just hiding. But once he met Jesus, not only was he just what everyone described, but he was more. So he received him joyfully. Then verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. They who? The crowds. The religious people. Uh, they, the crowds. They saw it. They all grumbled and said, He has gone in. To be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus nowhere in this entire passage, as you could tell, nowhere does he say he's okay with Zacchaeus' sin. But do you notice something? The only way that Jesus reaches this sinner is by interacting with him. It's like, I don't know, I, that may be the, most, the simplest missiological evangelistic statement I can make. You will never reach someone for Christ if you don't interact with them. Jesus finds this man who's a chief tax collector. And the people say, he's a sinner. One, because they thought they weren't. But he says, he's a sinner. And what does Jesus do? He speaks to him directly. And not only does he speak to him directly, he says, I'm staying at your house. I'm, I'm going to build this relationship with you. I'm going to come near you and I'm going to speak to you. 
While it may be important, and it should be, it is important that we are concerned about those we know who do not know Christ. It has to go beyond being just concerned if our concern does not drive us to help them know and meet our Savior, Jesus Christ. Obviously, Jesus was in the business of meeting people where they were. But we'll see in a second, he didn't leave Zacchaeus there. Now, this is definitely a sermon geared more towards believers, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But you may be hearing all this and thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a bit more like that Zacchaeus guy. I'm kind of out here on the side. I'm trying to hear a little bit about Jesus, but I, I'm, not, I'm not really ready to, to interact. I'm not really ready to commit. Um, I'm, I'm just still trying to figure all these things out, and that's wonderful. And it's so grateful that you're here, and I pray that you continue to come back. But hear me, what you need is not to just get a glimpse of Jesus. You need to meet him. You need to know him. You need to commit to him. You need to do like Zacchaeus did. You need to respond to him today. Because you may have come not really knowing him, but he knows you. He knows your name, just like he knew Zacchaeus' name. He knows everything about you. And you're here this morning. Because while you may have come looking to understand a few things about him. He's looking for you. He's calling you today. Now, do we want to seek and to save the lost? Do we want to see all this because we just want to put bodies in this room? I, I'm not going to lie to you, and you'd know it was a lie if I said it. I'm not going to sit here and say, I don't care how many people are in this room. Of course I want to see it where people have to stand along the back wall. That'd be awesome. But not so we can just fill a room. We want to see people in this place because we want to see people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to see people come to know the grace and mercy that we ourselves have come to know and understand. See, because we don't just want people here. We want to see change in their lives. And Jesus, the change Christ seeks is not geographical. It's spiritual. The change that Christ seeks is not geographical. It's spiritual. Look at, look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. Do you notice the change? It was imperceptive, wasn't it? We didn't see what happened. Do you notice that in verse 7, you saw that Zacchaeus walked down the aisle, Right? Did anybody in verse 7b see Zacchaeus fill out a card? Or join a Sunday school class? Or did, now, all of those things are wonderful. But did you notice no one looked at Zacchaeus and said, Hey, can you explain to me the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ? Can you explain to me the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Can you explain? None of that. We don't know how it happened. All we know is Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and said, I know you. I know your name. I'm coming to your house. And then the next phrase says, and in, obviously it's in the home. Jesus is there. Zacchaeus stands before him and says, behold. Like as in, everyone look here. And then he says, Lord. No longer is Jesus this traveling rabbi that he just wants to get a glimpse of. But Jesus is his master. That's what he declares. You're my master. Lord. What? 
He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Very quickly, what did Zacchaeus just say? Get the picture of what he just said. You're my master, right? Zacchaeus has all of this wealth and he says, Now, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take half of it and I'm going to give it to the poor. Now he's got half to work with. He just cut his entire wealth in half. And then he says, anyone I defrauded, which means he's defrauded people. It's obvious that he had. Anyone that I've defrauded, I'm going to restore it to them fourfold. Do you realize the law said that if he defrauded someone, he was required to give them 20% over what he took from them. He says, I'm going to restore it fourfold. If I took $200 from him, I'm giving him back $800. Okay, he's, he's, he's going over and above. The, you know what, what he just said? He just said, because I'm gaining you, Jesus, all this material wealth doesn't matter. Do you notice what he's doing? He's doing the exact thing that Jesus told the rich young ruler to do that he couldn't do. See, because the rich young ruler, he said what? Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he had much. With Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was wanting to follow Jesus. That's why he called him Lord. And because of that, he's ready to give away everything he owns. Why? Because everything he has material in this world does not matter when it compares to what he just got from Jesus. What is Jesus' response? Look at it. And Jesus said to him in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. He says, Today salvation has come to this house. What it, remember, he said, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and his disciples said, Well, then, Lord, who can do this? It's impossible. And Jesus said, What? With man it is impossible. That's the rich young ruler. With man, it is impossible. He's doing it on his own. But with God, all things are possible. What did we just learn? He does not say that the rich man would never enter heaven. He just said, without God, nobody will enter heaven. So what is Jesus saying here? Salvation has come to this house. Because I just did a work in this man's life. I did a work that you couldn't see on the inside, or you couldn't see on the outside. But then you saw the evidence of it when he was willing to give away every material possession he owned to follow Jesus. But what's the reason behind this? Why does Jesus say salvation has come to this house? Remember the story. At first we think it's just Jesus traveling to Jerusalem. Oh, he's walking along and he, and he sees this guy, Zacchaeus, and he's like, Hey, short dude, come down here. That's what we think's happening. But what you realize very quickly when you look at the story is this was a divine appointment that Jesus Christ had with this man in Jericho. That's what this was. Jesus went through Jericho, yes, to get to Jerusalem, but he stopped in Jericho because he was there to meet Zacchaeus. That was the whole reason. He was there to meet Zacchaeus. And he says, today salvation came to this house. Why? What was Jesus' purpose? Yeah, he was headed for the cross. He was headed for the cross, but what was Jesus' purpose? Why did salvation come to that house? Verse 10. For or because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is his purpose.
purpose. That is the goal of Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection was to seek and to save the lost. It was to see men and women, boys and girls, come to faith in Jesus Christ and to see that happen as he sought them. So Jesus brings about complete life change, complete change for eternity, and we are about, or are to be about, the same exact mission. If Christ's mission was to seek and to save the lost, then if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the mission we are a part of. It is our purpose to spend our lives in pursuit of the same mission Jesus had. It's to see people who are far from God come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as we see from this story, it may look impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And we could see him change lives. We have to begin, as I said earlier, we have to begin to see people we know, not just as people we know, but as people who are far from God in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And if we see them as such, and we're constantly thinking outwardly and thinking about how I can reach those who don't know Christ, looking, praying, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our calling. That's our purpose. Even while Jesus was headed to his death, he took time to stop, meet Zacchaeus, and call him to eternal life. And he said, because that's the reason I'm here. And it's the reason you and I are here as well. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't do this every week, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask you to commit to something this morning. So get nervous. I'm going to ask you to commit to something. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I want you to commit to telling someone about what Jesus did for you this week. I felt the nervousness. I, but what do I, I can feel it. I know it. But I want you to commit. You know why? Because do you hear what Zacchaeus said to Jesus? He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give. This is a commitment immediately. I'm doing it, Lord. He's making a commitment. He's nailing it down. This is what I'm doing. Will you commit to tell someone about what Jesus has done for you this week? Say, well, I don't, I don't know if I can. Okay, I'm going to give you an out this week. If you can't, if you're nervous about telling them about what Jesus has done for you, then I want you to simply find someone that you know is far from God and invite them to church. Invite them to come with you. Say, well, what if they won't? If you will tell them that you're going to take them out to eat afterwards, they will come. <laughs> and if you tell them you're going to take them out, you better take them out and take them to a good place too. But why? Again, just so we can see people in this room? No. So we can be about the same business Jesus was about. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that's the call that is placed on our lives as well as believers in Jesus Christ. So go this week. Tell someone about what Jesus has done for you. Invite them to church. Invite them to lunch. Invite them into your home. Whatever you need to do. But you and I need to be just like Jesus. Look beyond their faults and see their need because that's what Jesus Christ did for you and that's what he did for me 
And it is his purpose to save. And it is my privilege to serve.